Good morning, church. Great to see you. Welcome to Union Chapel. So glad you're here. If you've joined us online, thrilled to have you as well. Welcome. Good to see you all. We've been talking about uh, faithful stewardship the last few weeks, and today we want to just uh, focus in on four verses from the Gospel of John, uh, Mark, rather, Mark chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Of course, we'll project the words. Our custom is to stand to hear God's word, so thanks for doing that as you're able. This is a familiar passage, I know, to many of you, and let's see what we can learn. This is the widow's offering. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. And may God instruct us, inspire us, encourage us through his word. You may be seated. Thank you so much. You have close to your seats one of these little cards that I want to refer to at the very end this morning. So uh, if you can have one of those handy, that'd be fantastic. Thank you so much. You know, it's uh, more than a little unfortunate that so many churches have to result to a begging, you know, cajoling, arm twisting, you know, squeezing resources out of people. And so you, you see fashion shows, bake, bake sales, chicken dinners, rummage sales, you know, which I call junk for Jesus, that, that churches use to try to bolster, bolster their budget. And and it's really unfortunate. And by the way, Union Chapel has done a lot of these things over the years. But I can tell you the day, this has been many, many years ago, the day that we stopped fooling around like that. I came into the lobby. This is when we were uh, worshiping over in Building 1 in what is now the 456 Auditorium. We were worshiping over there. And I went into the lobby one Sunday morning. And on one end of the lobby, one group of people in the church were selling cheesecakes. And in the other end of the room, the youth group was selling bags of fertilizer. <laughs> I'm sure it wasn't a metaphor for anything. It's just, it was just fertilizer. I didn't take it personally. <laughs> Maybe I should. And so I, and I, I had a flashback of that day Jesus went into the temple. Maybe you remember, and they were buying and selling in there off of tables, you know, guys were making money inside of the temple, and Jesus lost it. He's turning over tables, and he's yelling at people, my father's house shall be called a house of prayer, and you're making it a robber's den, you know, he was very upset, and I just thought, I wonder if Jesus is coming to my church today, and if he does, what kind of reaction is he going to have? So we stopped all that nonsense, and we've not done anything like it since. And I want to talk about that and a couple of other things today. When these things happen, though, these kinds of attempts to encourage people to somehow be supportive, it really is an indication that there's something else missing, something else is wrong. It, it, it's an indication that we're kind of off, off track. When you, have to, when you have to beg people to give and 
beg people to serve and beg people to donate their time and those kinds of things. Something else is missing because as it turns out, God has been so great and so wonderful and so good and so big and so lavish toward us that it just seems that the right thing to do, the natural thing to do, if you have a right perspective on all the things God has done for us, that we will give our time, our talent, our treasure, our lives to him in an extravagant, extravagant way. So ultimately, the point I want to make today is that every aspect of healthy, vital, dynamic spirituality is a matter of the heart. It's a matter of motives. It's a matter of our attitude toward it, our, our, our feelings toward it, our values that we assign to it. It's about that. Here in Mark chapter 12, uh, we find Jesus, as he's often prone to do, using the subject of stewardship to illustrate matters of the heart. In your, in your automobile, occasionally a light will come on indicating a problem, and when you see that light, you realize instinctively, you know how it works, that this isn't a light problem. Oh, look at that light. I got something wrong with my light. It's not the light. It's an indicator, indication of something deeper, more serious, a problem deeper in the engine or the, or the car. And so Jesus always uses this subject of money and giving stewardship to indicate deeper issues of motive, attitude, and heart. He sums it up uh, well in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, Luke's Gospel, chapter 12. I'll put it on the screen for you. And he simply said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So in other words, whatever your highest values are, that's where your heart will be. That's where your motives will be. Whatever you value most, whatever is most important to you, that's how you'll practice your life. And it's important for us to remember that. So we need to be clear. This isn't anything particularly spiritual about money. We've tried to identify that. Money is just a means to an end. It's amoral. It doesn't have any power in and of itself. It's a thing we use in exchange for goods and services. And so God is actually not all that interested in money. I mean, he owns everything everywhere. So he's not, he's not concerned about it. It's not, it's not his deal. He simply reminds us that the way we steward our money and possessions is a strong indicator of the condition of our heart. You're getting it, aren't you? Okay. Therefore, in the recorded words of Jesus, it's interesting, in the Gospels, where you have, if you have a Bible that has red letters in it, you know, these are assigned words to Jesus. If you study all the red letters in a red letter edition Bible, you will discover that one in six verses recorded words of Jesus ascribed to him, one in six verses uses the subject of money to illustrate deeper issues. Maybe there's something to this. Maybe it's an important issue. And indeed it is. So let me just uh, offer three ideas that we can get from these four brief verses. Here's the first thing. Jesus goes to the temple that day and he's watching people give in the offering. So we learn that Jesus watches intimately. Notice how intimate he watches. He sat down opposite the treasury. He intentionally went over to where the offering was being taken. He's very interested in the offering. Now, I just wonder, is Jesus interested when you give an offering? I mean, is he noticing? Is he interested in that? I suspect so. I, I think that's still true. 
So he's looking for our attitude, our spirit, our heart in that process. And he knew that the people's hearts would best be revealed in that setting, in that context, people giving offerings. Now at the temple, there were these 13 receptacles. uh, And on one side of the temple, they were affixed to the side of the building. They're shaped like trumpets. And they're the place into which people would put their offerings. They were just collection points. This was in a larger area called the Court of Women. You could, you could crowd about 15,000 people into this large courtyard. Very impressive, very, uh, very beautiful. Uh, the, 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 the temple itself was magnificent. Uh, stone upon stone and inlaid was silver and gold. Josephus, first century historian, Jewish historian, reports that when people would look at the temple, it was like one of the ancient wonders of the world. And when the light would hit, the sunlight would hit the side of the temple because of all these uh, precious metals, that it would reflect so brilliantly that you would have to turn away from it. In Mark chapter 13, they're going by the temple one day, Jesus and his disciples, and the Bible says, look, teacher, as the disciples are noticing the magnificence of this temple, they say, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. And so we understand and get the impression that this is a very special place. And so, so people there are coming to leave their offerings. And Jesus watched in this very plush environment, and he is recognizing what's happening. Verse 41, many rich people threw in large amounts. How would he know that they're rich people? Probably by the amount that they're pouring into the receptacles. That would be an indication. Could, could be the Tommy Hill figure tunics they were wearing or the Rolex sundials they were carrying. Mercedes-Benz chariots. You know, the look. Verse 42, he notices this woman. She's a widow. She placed two small, small copper coins worth less than a cent into the receptacles. These two coins were called leptas. A lepta was worth less than a penny. It was 164th of a denarii, which was one day's wage. It was virtually nothing. She has two of these leptas. She drops them in the receptacle. Now, let me ask you, how close, how interested would Jesus have to be to notice she drops two leptas into the offering? You have to be pretty close, wouldn't you? have to be paying attention. You'd have to notice. So Jesus was, was sitting there watching for the indicator lights to go on because he's looking for something deeper than the mere physical, functional part of the offering. So he's watching intimately. Here's the second point. We just have three points. This is, this is a cold summer day sermon. We're, just, we're moving. Jesus watches critically. He analyzed what he saw. He analyzed carefully who was giving and what they were giving. And most importantly, he's analyzing why they're giving. Very important. He was observing beyond the obvious and discerning the motives and the heart intent of those who were giving. So verse 43, Jesus called his disciples to him. He's so touched. He's so moved. He's so inspired. He's so encouraged by what he sees in this woman that he wants to share it with the disciples. I mean, this is John and Matthew, James, Bartholomew, Luke. He goes, did you see that? Did you you see what she did? He's so overwhelmed, he couldn't stand to look at it all by himself. And so he invites his, his team 
in. Verse 43, I tell you the truth, the poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. Two leptas. This is fascinating, isn't it? Verse 44, they all gave out of their wealth, he said, but she, out of her poverty, but in everything, she put everything in, all she had. This is quite a moment. So it's impressive because she gave out of her poverty and the others gave out of their surplus. It's a big difference. So the rich gave out of what they had left over. They may have given a lot, but it was just extra for them. Now, many of you, many of us can identify with this. Many of us in the room right now or within the sound of my voice, we have more than we need in our lives. We have more than we need. So when we give, those of us who have more than we need, we are literally giving out of our surplus. That's what many people do. In this case, this woman was giving out of her need. She didn't have enough, and yet she was still willing to give. Most of us, of course, after the car note, the house mortgage, the credit cards, the club dues, the restaurant tabs, after everything else is covered, then people who have more than they need give out of their surplus. Look at this statement on the screen. See if you can... See if you can believe it. God measures your gift not by the amount, but rather by the motive. That's actually true. And so this is an important self-reflection that I'm inviting us all to consider today. What is my motive? When I give, what is the, what is the value behind that? Why, do, why does it matter? What can God judge about my intentions, my attitude, my values, my heart? as I give. This kind of self-reflection is very important. This woman had all kinds of reasons not to give. I mean, there was an economic reason. She didn't have any money. She was broke. That's a reason not to give. There's also religious reasons. I mean, the temp Jesus was constantly challenging the Pharisees, the, guy who the guys who controlled this temple, this religious system, and Jesus wasn't impressed with them at all. So she could have rationalized, you know, there's a bunch of, bunch of knotheads, you know, running this temple. Why would I contribute to that? Or she might look at it from a motivational reason and say, you know, look at this place. This is magnificent. This, it takes some money to keep this thing going. And what's two cents going to matter? My contribution isn't going to make a difference at all around here. So she could easily have rationalized her way out of giving. But she, she didn't. She gave. So she wasn't giving to the temple fund. We know that. She wasn't giving to support corrupt priests. That's not a good motivation. She wasn't giving to impress her peers. There's only one conclusion we can draw, and that is that she was giving to honor God. How can I honor God? How can I please God? How can I live in a righteous way before God, an honorable way before God? So what drew her to the temple that day was her personal devotion to God and her desire to please him with everything in her power. You see, this woman had a high view of God and also a desperate need for God. Apply the, apply the statement to your own life right now. Do you, do you, have, do you have a high view of God? And do you recognize a desperate need for God in your life? You should answer yes to that. If you can't answer yes to that, then more self-reflection is necessary. Let, let that sink in. 
Very important. Many years ago, a man was building an orphanage. This is Great Britain. This man's name was Brother Andrew. He went to a, to a friend of his who's, who had wealth, and he said, would you help me build this or- orphanage? And the man wrote him a check for $5. And the man said, here, Brother Andrew, this is for you. And Brother Andrew actually took the check in front of the man who had just written it and tore it up in his presence. Uh, Sir, my friend, this is not for me. The man nodded his head, put out his checkbook, and wrote a check for $100. He said, since this is for God, here. He got the message. He understood what was happening. And so the question to us is, to whom are you giving? The widow woman could have stayed home, purchased a morsel of bread. She didn't. She could have reasoned, why give money to that corrupt church? She didn't. She could have reasoned, who is going to miss my two cents anyway? She didn't. So the question of why, because she was giving to God. She placed her hope in God. She rested her future in the provision of God. She was exercising her faith in God. So again, the question, to whom are you giving? In whom do you trust? Pastor stood in his church one day and announced a building campaign. We're going to need pledges for a new building. And the only multimillionaire in his church at the time stood up and said, I pledge, I pledge $100. And he sat down. And as he sat down, a piece of plaster from the ceiling broke loose, fell straight down, hit the man on the head. He's dazed, and he's you know, gathering himself and knock, knocking the dust off his person. <laughs> he stands back up, and he says, I changed my pledge to $10,000. To which the pastor bowed his head and began to pray, hit him again, Lord, hit him again. <laughs> A little girl was given two $1 bills by her mother before church. She said, one of these dollars is for God, so give this put this in the offering, the other dollars for you for candy after church. They arrived at church. It was a very blustery day. Wind was blowing. The little girl jumped out of the car with her little $2. She stumbled. She fell. The $2 got out of her hand. The wind takes these $2. And the little girl races after them until she caught one of the dollars. The other was gone. As she held one little dollar in her hand, she looked up to heaven. She said, well, Lord, there goes your dollar. Two men got stranded on an island. One man was beside himself. He was terrorized by it. He was so fearful that they would never be rescued. The other man was perfectly calm and at peace. The nervous man pacing up and down, what's going to become of us? How are we going to stay alive? We'll never be rescued. This is the worst thing that can possibly happen. The other man was leaning up against a palm tree, perfectly content, restful. How can you sit there and not be worried And the calm man looked at his friend and said, listen to me, I have a very important business. I make approximately $1 million every month. I am also faithful to my local church, and I am a tither. And then he smiled at his nervous friend and said, my pastor will find me. (laughs) They're coming, don't worry. See, God's a whole lot more interested in why we give rather than what we give. And by the way, here at Union Chapel, no one ever gets pointed out because of what they give. No, never. 
In my home church growing up, there was a man in our church. He owned the local bank, a small town. There was one bank in our town. He was the owner. He made an arrangement with our church. This went on for many, many years. Everyone in the church knew about this arrangement. And the arrangement was that if there was any shortfall in the budget at the end of the year, and and every year there was some shortfall, that he would make up the difference. And so he would either inquire of the pastor at year end uh, or or the pastor would call him. It was arranged, and an and amount was, was expressed, was communicated. It, you know, it might be $1,500, might be a couple of thousand dollars that church fell short, and so this man would write the check. I knew about that as just a small boy growing up in this church, and even before I knew Jesus or had any sensibilities about such things, I knew something was stinky about that. When I inherited my first church, this is many years ago, as a student pastor down in southern Indiana, I was informed very quickly into my tenure there that there was a businessman of some means. He was a member of the church. He does not attend here, but he's a member here, and now he's uh, come into a lot of money. And so every year at the end of the year, he inquires about the utility bills because apparently this church chronically was unable to keep the heat on. And they would inform him about their shortfall so that the utility bill would be paid. And he dutifully paid it every year. Now picture me, I'm 23 years old. This is my first church. And the only experience I have in this kind of dynamic is the memories I have from my local church. By the way, my local church growing up, we also had another tradition there that we would fund missions. We would support missionaries. You go, well, that's a good thing. Here's how they did it we would take all of the loose change that accumulated in the collection plate over the course of a year, you know, all the pennies, nickels, dimes, and quarters, and we would collect those every week and add them up, and whatever that total was, that's what we gave to missions. So some years we might give as much as $250 or $300 to missions. This is going to sound sacrilegious, and you're going to wonder about me, but... God used my experiences in a small church growing up on what not to do if I ever led a church myself. I know that sounds terrible. People have asked me, How did, why did you create the kind of culture you have at Union Chapel? I know the ethos here and the, the style here and that sort of thing. Why did, why did you go this direction? I, and my answer for years was very simple. I just remember what they were doing in my small church that was so ineffective, and I just did the opposite. Crazy time. So this fat cat magnanimously was paying off the fuel bill at the end of the year for our church, the first church I pastored. And so at 23 years old, I made an appointment. I'd never met him. He'd never been in church. I made an appointment, and I went to his, his place of business. It was a big deal. And his office was enormous. This room was like 30 by 40. He had this huge mahogany. It's the biggest desk I've ever seen. It's as big as a truck. And he's sitting in a big chair behind his desk, and he said, please, pastor, have a seat. I'm 23 years old. And I sit down in these side, side chairs in front of his desk, and I sit down, and I just kept sinking. <laughs> it was like a, bad, a scene in a bad movie. 
until, you know, I'm a, I'm a tall guy and I'm sitting, sitting up straight in this chair and my nose is barely over the top of his desk. What is going on? I understand that you've been uh, generous over the years to help us with our fuel bill. Well, you know, just want to help the church out. I said, uh, we're not going to let you do that anymore. I didn't ask anyone about it first. I have routinely offended people in my own congregation over the years for various reasons. It's like I have a spiritual gift <laughs> to put people on edge. I, I'm doing it right now. Some of you are nervous just hearing this story. And I reminded him that you cannot make deals like a business deal with God. It doesn't work that way. And so you don't attend the church. You show no actual signs of being a devoted follower of Jesus. And until you make a decision to be authentic about this, then you can keep your money. The potatoes hit the fan over that for a while, I can tell you. But it's not about what you give. It's about why you give. This, this, is, this is the whole message today. If you haven't been listening until now, that was, that's the summary statement so far. What is he talking about? It's that. It's, a, it's about your motive. It's about your heart. It's about why. Too many serve the leftover God, the extra God, the tip God. Don't worry, God, I got you covered. Don't, don't worry, Lord, you know. I, know. I know that little church of yours is pitiful, but I got you. Please, you need to stop that if that's how you feel. So it's interesting. When things have to be cut out, oftentimes God loses out. Can you imagine uh, God notices that? He weighs that in his scales, which judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart. He's more interested in why we give. We have two plaques on our facility here at Union Chapel. This is all based on this particular policy that we have. This is the a value that we practice. And, and it's simply stated, sounds like this, no one, no one, ever, no one ever gets pointed out in this church because of what they give. You've heard me just illustrate early in my, my ministry career when someone's motives are a little bit off that, I, that I, get, I get fussy with people like that. From time to time over the years, you can imagine, because this is the way the world works, you know, the, the more you're funding something, the higher your expectation for influence in that something becomes. And so you can imagine from time to time, there have been people who've come through the life of our church who give a substantial amount of money and therefore just naturally, because this is the way their life works in general, the natural expectation is that I'm going to have more voice or more say or more control in what goes on around here. And the answer is, at least for 43 years, is no, you don't. Because what you give is irrelevant to me. Why you give is everything. 
So we have people who give just a little bit of money who have a lot of influence. And we have people who give a lot of money who have a lot of influence or very little influence. But it's not about how much. It's not about what. It's always about why. I'm funny that way, but I believe that's what Jesus teaches. I believe that's what this story is about. Um, we give to the United Way. We give to police benevolence. We buy Girl Scout cookies. All those things are good causes. But in all those cases, the questions are, will you and what will you? Will you give and what will you give? But never is the question, why are you giving? The church is different, not so in Christianity. God not only looks at what you give, but also why you give. We have two plaques on our building. One is in our prayer room. We have a prayer room. You can go there and pray anytime. It's over in building one, just off of the, the uh, auditorium there. And there's a plaque on the wall in there. And the name on that plaque is John Wybrew. John Wybrew and his wife Mary were part of Union Chapel when Beth and I arrived here 43 years ago. They were here a long time before we got here, out in that little cornfield church. And when I started making proposals like, you know, this church should be able to pay the pastor full-time without being associated with other ch local churches, they put little churches together in a circuit so that together they can come up with enough money to pay their pastor. And so a pastor has to ride the circuit, you know, and go from little church to little church. I did that for two years, the first two years here. And I proposed that we should fund my salary all by ourselves so we don't have to fuss with these other churches. And people went nuts. That's impossible. And the, the rationale was, we haven't done this for 116 years. Why do you think we can do it now? They'd never been in that kind of position. And so I make the recommendation, and it causes trouble. And then I suggested that we leave the church that we own out there in the cornfield that's paid for and, and perfectly in good shape, we're, that we should leave that building and go rent the local high school, Delta High School. We should rent that because we need more elbow room to reach more people. And that was a big fuss. It was a big deal. Folks didn't like it. It was scary. You can understand. Big risky suggestions from, you know, from a kid. You know, your pastor is 26 years old and he's, you know, he's advising you to go borrow a couple million dollars to, you know, go crazy. And John Wybrew was a guy who was there before I got there and through all of that kind of activity for the first 15 or 20 years of our tenure here, that guy stood right next to me and his wife Mary stood right next to me and he never flinched. Everybody around him was flinching. He said, Pastor, I think this is the right thing. Let's go for it. His name is on a plaque in the prayer room. Not because he gave a bunch of money. He didn't have a lot of money. But he's a guy who had the right heart and the right attitude and the right motives and the right faith. There's a, one other name. It's just inside the door to the outside playground for our children's area, and it's Sue Williamson. Sue was a kindergarten teacher in Albany for many years and died suddenly in her 50s. You know, it just shocked us. She, 
she just had an episode and died one day. It was very sad. It just hurt us all so bad. We loved her so much. And um, her, her husband, Joe, was on our staff at the time, and so very dear to us. And, you know, they didn't give any big amount of money because she loves children and honored God in her devotion to children. Put her name on a plaque next to the door. We built this building all those 25 years ago or so, and it, at the time it cost about $2.5 million to put this building together, and we were trying to raise money for that, and people were asking questions. If we could find, you know, like a big donor somewhere in the community or somewhere else, you know, could, would we put their name on the building or something like that? And, and I said, no, that's not going to happen. If you, had, if you had come up to me those, in those days, or you could do it right now if we were trying to build something or raise money for something big, if you came to me and said, listen, if you'll put my name on the side of your worship center, I will give you $2.5 million. And I can, I can tell you what I would say to you. I would say, keep your money. Because it's not what. It's always why. And by these stories, I'm trying to encourage you to know that no matter what your giving level is, you can participate. You can be part of the blessing. You can honor God, and he will notice you intently and intimately and spiritually. Notice you, because why you give is in devotion to him and wanting the name of Jesus to be lifted up and exalted. This is good preaching. So the last point, did I mention the last point? Jesus watches us spiritually. Look at this uh, next statement. I'll put it on the screen. It could very well be that the greatest measure, the greatest indicator of the motivations of your own heart is how you steward the resources of God. So it's not about a money issue. It's about a value issue. Listen, if you're a young woman and you're being courted right now and you've got a young man who is dating you and courting you and it's getting more and more serious and he's got a fairly decent job, you know, he's passed inspection, you know, your father and mother approve of this guy, and it's looking, looking positive, and he has, a, he has a nice job and a career and that sort of thing, and he keeps taking you to McDonald's. Now, there's nothing wrong with McDonald's, but if he can afford more than McDonald's and he, he keeps taking you to McDonald's, there's something wrong with that boy. Because he's undervaluing you in that process. This is the value he's assigning to you in his relationship with you. Always being cheap. And my point is simply this, that the God we serve is worthy of our highest praise and our deepest devotion. He's worthy of all that we are and all that we have and all that we will ever be. He's such a great and glorious and grand God that we should be willing from our hearts, motivated by our gratefulness to him, to offer him anything he asks of us and place the highest value on him. This widow woman gave herself in complete dependence on God. She gave all she had out of her need, out of her poverty. Why? Because she had placed her confidence in God. She knew her need for God. Let me ask you, 
You have a financial crisis, you need God. You have a relational crisis, a health crisis, personal crisis, family crisis, career crisis, you need God. You need God's blessing, you need God's presence, you need God's favor, you need God's, you need God's touch on your life. That's what you need. One more story and I'll, and I'll be done. This is 1 Kings chapter 17, another widow. This is the widow of Zarephath. She is living in a time of famine. The prophet Elijah is alive and in ministry in these days. And this widow has a young son. And the famine is deep and severe. And this woman has in her stocks just a little pile of flour and a little oil in her vial. That's it. She has enough food for one more meal. Her plan is to make a cake out of this flour and oil and serve it to her son, and she will eat what's left over. And then the plan is they will die. This is all we have. The famine is taking people's lives. We will eat our last meal, and we will die. A knock at her door. She goes to the door, opens the door. It is the prophet Elijah. <laughs> he walks in. Have anything to eat? You know, it's hungry out there. Anything to eat? She tells him her story, her plans. He looks at her, I can imagine, without breaking eye contact, without flinching, without blinking, with no hesitation in his voice because he knows what God has asked him to do. It's why she knocked, he knocked on her door. He's there on a mission. He looks at her and says, feed me your last meal. Give me all you have left. <laughs> I'm excited to meet her. Someday when I meet her, you're the widow of Zarephath. Come here, I, I want to talk to you. What, what in the world, how, listen, how hard was it? Tell me the truth. How hard was it when the prophet said, give me all you have? I imagine she will say, it was the hardest thing I've ever done. It was so, it was so difficult. It was so challenging. I mean, she, she'll, she'll say, I felt it in the core of my being because my, my instinct is to care for my son. I'll do anything to care for him. Now this guy is asking me to take food out of my son's mouth. But somehow she worked it out. And she made the last meal and she gave it to the prophet. Wow. This is quite a moment. The next morning she got up she, she's really hungry. She has no food. She's done. She just out of curiosity goes over to her little flower pot. She takes the lid off the flower pot and there's a pile of flour. Goes over to her vial of oil, which she knows she emptied the day before. And she takes the cover off and she looks in 
and there's a day's volume of oil. And she mixes it up and feeds her son, herself. And the next morning she goes, and there's flour, and there's oil. And the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and week after week, and month after month, all the way through the end of the famine, she was miraculously supplied everything she needed to sustain her. Everything She placed her confidence and trust in the word of God, and God miraculously took care of her. This is a phenomenal story. And this is precisely what Jesus implies with the widow that he saw that day. He didn't say it out loud, at least not so that we have it recorded, but we know his intention. I'm going to take care of that girl. She's going to be okay. Everything is going to be all right because I'm going to take care of her because that's what God does. That's his move. That's how, he, that's how he goes through the world toward us. Now, in this uh, little insert, um, you can see that you can tear the bottom off. On the back side of this, there are three, there are three categories. This, this is all volunteer. You can do this or you don't have to. It didn't cost you anything to get in. It won't cost you anything to get out. And there are three boxes there. This is just by means of encouraging you. Because everybody has their own story or in a different place in your life of stewardship. And you see the first box says, I will continue to tithe. This is what many of you, maybe even most of you would check. You say, yeah, that's, what, that's how I practice my life, my stewardship. That's what I know, what the Bible, and that's what I, what I do. Every year, this is the box Beth and I check. I will continue to tithe. Just put your name, address on there. I will not, I'm going to send you a letter. If you check this and turn this in, I'll send you a letter in snail mail, a paper letter, not a text, not an email, a physical letter. And I'll, and I'll write a letter to you if you check that box. I'll continue to tie it, and I'll go, good for you. Let's keep, let's keep it going. Good job. The next box is I will start to tithe. Maybe you're starting to sense, you know, maybe this is something I need to start doing in my life. I think I can, and I, and I probably should. And so this is the next step for you. And so you, you're saying, I'm, I intend to start tithing. Now, here's the caveat. If, you, if you're not currently tithing, and you start tithing, I give you a 90-day money-back guarantee. This is not a joke. If, you start, if you're not tithing now and you start tithing 90 days from now, you, you don't have enough. You, you're coming up short. You regret making the commitment, and, and, and you don't have enough money. All you have to do is contact me. Send me an email. Contact my office. Ask for me. Tell me your sad story. I started tithing and now I don't have enough to pay my bills. What I will do is I will give you back every dollar that you've given since you promised to start tithing. I'll give you back all the money that you, that you gave. And if that's not enough, I'll give you more to help you cover your, because you're pitiful. And by the way, you'll be the first person in history who has ever committed to trust God with this part of your life, and he's failed you. You'll be the first. You'll be the only one that almighty God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills and can take care of everybody's need like that, you'll be the first person who's tried to honor and obey him in this area of your life, and he's failed you. So I just give your money back. 
Because I don't want you to, I don't want you to, I don't want you to be without. The third category, this may be for some of you who are like new, new to the faith or new to this whole idea. And maybe you haven't been giving anything or you've just been giving a little bit here and there. And so you're beginning to feel a conviction about this and you want to say, I will increase my giving with a view toward tithing. Someday in my life, because maybe you've made bad choices, like all of us do from time to time, just bad decisions about your finances, and so you're in kind of, a, kind of a predicament. You need to climb your way out. Maybe you're taking financial peace right now and you're learning how to do that. And you're, you're just going to have to go step by step. But your ultimate goal is someday I want to be a tither. It may take me a while, but that's my goal. So I'm going to start, I'm going to increase my giving. If you're giving nothing, you give a little bit. Well, what's a little bit going to do? This is a big obser- bob- obser- operation. You, two, you know, my two cents isn't going to matter. Not about, it's not about what. It's about why. And so maybe that's the box you'll check. So here's, here's the invitation. Just check one of those, fill this out, tear it off. There will be buckets at the back when you're leaving this morning or at the information table. Just drop it off there. I'll send you a letter just to encourage you. Thank you, encourage you. Because we're in this together. We're two or more agree about something. God will help them. So I'll, I'll agree with you and your commitment in this category. And he will meet you there. Did you get it? Say, I got it. Did, did you get it? All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning for your word, which is so clear, so helpful, so encouraging. Thank you so much for this moment that you selected this widow and noticed her heart, her motives, her sincerity, her faith. God, fill us with that same faith. Fill us with that same spirit, we pray. Now meet each one of us at the point of our need. We all have a different story. Thank you that you will meet us personally, privately, right where we live and take us to better places. So we give our life to you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Would you stand with us?